Welcome to our message series on therapy, session four, dealing with anxiety. I want to repeat my disclaimer from last week. I'm a pastor, not a therapist. And so I'm coming to you from a pastoral perspective, but I believe what I have to share with you today is going to help most of you in the area of stress and anxiety and, and how you deal with it. Last week, I, I spoke about my bout with depression, and uh, I really do believe that one of the reasons why it lasted so long uh, was because I was just not in a healthy place, not emotionally and not physically. And from that point on, after coming out of there, uh, I really learned a lot of things about myself and, and became uh, more attached to my identity in Christ and not my identity as a student minister at the time. And I became much healthier, and I've been in a much healthier place since then, both physically and emotionally. And uh, I believe that prepared me when my world was rocked four years ago when I had a, a close brush with death. And uh, I want to share with you some of the things that helped me work through that time and, uh, and helped me to come out of that relatively healthy on the other side of that and what kept, what kept anxiety from defining and disabling me because it, it really could have. So many of you know my story. Uh, you, you lived it with me a few years ago, but I think it's worth retelling for the sake of those that weren't here and uh, just to let you in on a little bit of insight on the totality of it, how it affected me. In February, the very first of February, 2019, things were going really well, and I developed a mild headache that didn't go away. As a matter of fact, that headache lasted for four months without ever letting up and getting slowly worse. I saw a lot of doctors during that time uh, who, were, who did all kinds of tests, um, looking for all kinds of horrible diseases and frightening diseases, but nothing was discovered for four months until finally, um, on June 3rd, my eye had, was, was shrinking down, my headaches were worse, and I was finally diagnosed with a very rare condition called bilateral indirect carotid cavernous fistulas. Say that four times, three times, two times. <laughs> Basically what was happening was my carotid arteries in my brain were breaking into, and all these tiny little places were breaking into my veins and pumping blood backwards and creating pressure on my eyes. Well, once they discovered what it was, they said, we have to do surgery quickly. Two days later, I'm at Memorial Hermann Hospital in Houston talking to a neurosurgeon early in the morning. And he tells me, he says, um, you have this indirect fistulas. I'm, I'm not certain that I can repair it, but I'm going to try. But there's a risk of blindness and stroke. But if you don't have surgery, the pressure behind your left eye is so great that it is just days from bursting, and it'll make you blind and be extremely painful. So I said, well, let's, let's do this. <laughs> let's have this surgery. Well, it was four and a half hours of brain surgery uh, that left me very, very weak. Later, the hair fell out of the back of my head from the radiation treatments in, in, when they were using during the surgery. And uh, the worst part was it left me severely cross-eyed from all the damage to the nerves around my eyes that the surgery caused. The doctor said, that's, that's not unusual, and your eyes will eventually straighten up. It might be a short time, might be a little bit longer. Well, for the next five months, and some of you remember it, I had to wear a patch uh, for the next five months while my eyes straightened out, and I endured really terrible pirate jokes all through that. <laughs> the worst part was I was just, I was unable, I was unable to do much, and I was just so weak. I went to my one-month checkup with my surgeon, and I said, I'm so weak. Uh, what do I need to do? And he said, you need to get out and, and do more, exert yourself some, and work in the yard. And so I did, and 
that evening, I just cranked up the leaf blower, and all of a sudden, I felt a pain in my chest. I went to the emergency room and found out that a blood clot that I didn't know that I had below my knee had broken loose, gone through my heart, and just splattered the blood clot all over my lungs. And, uh, you know, it was making it very hard to breathe and painful, and they put me in an ambulance and rushed me up to Houston, back to Memorial Hermann Hospital. And, um, you know, I was, I was kind of okay that evening with that, but then a few weeks later, I was talking to some folks, and I was telling them what had happened to me, and this guy said, man, I had a good friend that died from that. Matter of fact, I haven't heard of too many people that survive pulmonary embolisms. And I mean, when he said that, just it, I came home that night and I told Kathy, I said, man, I'm not, I'm not good right now. Just this wave of anxiety just swept over me. And I wondered, I just began to wonder, am I going to live through the end of the year? I mean, first this and now that, and there's some other things that happened. And I remember thinking or actually praying to God, God, if, if, if this is what my life is going to be like, if I'm just going to stay weak, uh, I, I don't know that I want to live. I, I just... Take me home if this is what the rest of my life is going to look like. It was a long summer and fall with eye therapy and physical therapy and then a return to surgery in November when it appeared that my fistulas were breaking loose again. And, and uh, they went in to see and they said, no, everything's okay. And uh, fortunately, by the end of the year, my eyes straightened out, the nerves healed, my eyes straightened out. I began to have hope. And just uh, hope that the nightmare of 2019 would soon be over. And I couldn't wait for 2020 to get here and everything get back to normal. <laughs> it came all right. We laugh about it now, but in March, a long nightmare of COVID began. In May, George Floyd's death unearthed deep racial division, both in our country and in our church. And in November, we had a contentious election, we all know. And man, I, everybody was just angry. We were, we were just, we were angry. And it was coming out in all kinds of places. I couldn't wait for 2021 to come and everything get back to normal. It came all right, too. Remember January 6th? I was in, my wife and I were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, visiting our son's family. He lives on Capitol Hill, just blocks from the Capitol. That was not a good time to visit the nation's capital. Wasn't a good day. I thought, man, this year's not getting off to a good start. The worst part about all this is later that month, I lost a dear friend to COVID. Then in February, we had the Texas freeze. Remember that? We were cold. Things got better until September and Hurricane Nicholas came through. I couldn't wait for 2022 to come and everything finally turned back to normal. Well, it's 2023 now. We're kind of still waiting, you know. I think the long shadow of COVID is, is almost past, but, you know, there will never be a shortage of things to be anxious about. There won't be. You don't have to have life-threatening rush with death to be anxious. Life just brings that on. You know, anxiety, not always, but usually anxiety is a result of an unhealthy focus on circumstances or a, or a fear about what will happen. What if? What if? And it just gives us anxiety and adds that stress to us. You know, that's always been true. That's always been true that, that people have had stress and anxiety, even in Jesus's day. And I'm so glad Jesus addressed the problem of anxiety straight on. Most people in first century Israel, when Jesus came to earth, they were very poor by our standards today, really very poor by anyone's standards. And it appears from one of Jesus's sermons, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, that, that 
One of their most common worries was a fear that they wouldn't have enough money to meet their needs. They weren't worried about luxury. They were just trying to meet their needs. I know that's not a problem, though, anymore. You know, we're, we're fine. We uh, live in a wealthy nation. We all have all the money we need. Everybody's satisfied. Nobody wants what anything anyone else has. And we spend most of our time worrying about how we can get rid of our excess cash, right? <laughs> no? No, not at all. More money, more troubles. You know, the deal is, maybe we're more like the people of Jesus' day that we realize, even with all our technology and changes and living in a different place and with all of our conveniences, we're still very much like them, which means his words are just as relevant today as they have always been. The truth is, whether you have a little or a lot, whether things are going good or not, we all deal with stress and worry and anxiety. It's pretty common to the human condition. Jesus understood that. Now, catch this. Jesus understood that. And basically what he said was, our worry comes from a conflict of lordship. What? Hang with me. Let me say that again. Jesus said our, most of our worry comes from a conflict of lordship. Who's in charge? Who are we following? Who's, who or what is leading us? Open your Bibles to Matthew 6, 24, and let's explain. Matthew's in the New Testament of the Bible, which means if you have a, a, a hard copy of the Bible, it's three-fourths of the way through your Bible. Find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four, what we call gospels or eyewitness accounts of Jesus from four different perspectives. And go to the first one, Matthew. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the words on the screen for you. We'd love to give you one. You can pick one up on the Welcome Center, uh, at the Welcome Center on your way out. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, in confronting worry and anxiety, Jesus, this is how he began his discussion of it. This is how he framed it. He said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, he's talking about their concern about money. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. That's not the only subject Jesus dealt with. You could have changed that word out, God and money, and traded it for any number of words. You can't serve both God and work, both God and hobbies, both God and pornography, both God and popularity. The list goes on and on. Brian Loritz, a teaching pastor at the Summit Church in North Carolina, said, when earth becomes our obsession, in other words, when things here become our obsession, anxiety becomes our Lord. See, Jesus said, you're, you worry because you've let the wrong things become your master. You let the wrong things control you. Some of those are awful things. Some of those are healthy things. But if they are first in your life, they're controlling you, and you can expect anxiety to come along at some point because of them. Look at verse 25. Jesus goes on, therefore I tell you, and he's, he's talking to an audience of first century Israelites, okay, who are poor. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. That's a pretty heavy thing to tell people who generally didn't know where their food was going to come from the next couple of days, maybe even that day. And he said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That was a rhetorical question. There were thousands of people listening to him. He wasn't expecting audience participation. The answer was, no, worry doesn't add to your life. Matter of fact, we know the truth is worry takes hours, days, months, weeks, years from our lives. He continued, verse 28. Jesus said, and why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, Solomon, if you're not familiar with the story of the Bible, Solomon was the wealthiest person who had ever lived in the world up to that point. He said, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Don't miss that part. He knows what we need. And more importantly, we see in the next verse, he has a prescription for anxiety. Jesus said in verse 33, but seek first. Here's how you start to deal. They begin to deal with anxiety. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Never were more true words spoken. Three times Jesus tells us not to worry. Folks, it's not a suggestion. It is a command, especially for Christ's followers. It's a command. Now, let me pause here for a disclaimer, okay? This is very important that I say this. Jesus can be your undisputed Lord, and you still have clinical anxiety. That can still happen. Last week, I quoted Dr. Ian Morgan Cron, a noted psychotherapist, who said three in 10 of the people who come to him do everything he, he suggests at the first meeting for self-care, and they still need additional therapy, and they come back. Well, we have platformed people that fall into that three in 10. Several times in this message series, and also in previous series, who have clinical anxiety or, or have had clinical anxiety. Most of them still do, and they're dealing with it. They love God. They trust God. They follow Jesus' command and seek him first, and so do many of you. But they still need clinical help, and I applaud them for seeking that help. But then there's the seven to ten of you, seven out of ten of you, who need to take responsibility for what you can do to reduce your stress, and thus your anxiety. And I'm going to share several of those things with you, okay? But we're going to start with Jesus, with what he has said. Seek, he says, seek God's kingdom first. Don't worry about tomorrow. Said in a different way, focus on Jesus one day at a time. That is the Christ-following life. We would all do well when we wake up in the morning just to remind ourselves this is the day the Lord has made. It's not just Sunday. Sunday's not the only Lord's day. Every day is God's day. And if we would just say, God, help me focus on today. And at the end of the day, say, God, I'm going to leave all the troubles of the world with you. You can work on this while I sleep. And he will. Jesus' point is not that food and clothes and life don't matter. Jesus said they do. He said, your heavenly Father knows you need them. His point is, they're not what's most important. There are things that are very important, but they are not most important. What's most important is Jesus. If you put these other things before Jesus, which, is, which actually is idolatry, everything goes haywire. Jesus didn't say don't look for food. He didn't say don't buy clothes. He didn't say don't work. He said don't worry about it. Instead, don't seek them first. Seek God first. So how do you do that? How do you seek God first? There's, there's lots of things involved in that, but let me just Get it started. The idea started. Let's go back to the first week in this series when Michelle kicked off the series. 
And she opened with Jesus, or kind of in the middle of her message, talked about Jesus' greatest commandment. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the books of the law and the Bible? What's the the most important? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. Well, how do you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength? Well, there's a lot of ways. And I mean, there's layers to it that we grow and we learn and feed ourselves and learn more about that. But for starters... You take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You do what you can do to help care for them. The better you take care of yourself, the better you're going to be able to put God first. The better you're going to focus on loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Last week, I introduced the idea of self-care with Dr. Cron's five diagnostic, diagnostic questions. And if you weren't here last week, this is kind of a one, two part message on Depression, worry, anxiety, stress. And I encourage you to go back and, and uh, listen to that. But he gave these, these five questions that all dealt with physical things that we can do to reduce our stress and, and increase our, our mental health, make it healthier. So I want to expand on them from a talk that I've given to a lot of pastors and, and other groups as well. Uh, so let's talk what we call self-care. I, I wish that... Um, this was in more of a smaller audience with a question and answer setting like I've done most of the time where I can say, this is what I've done uh, for self-care and what, what, what are some of the things that you do? And we can share that and get ideas from everyone. But for now, I would just say, you know, why don't you just think about what I say and write down answers to your questions, okay? Or just answers to my questions. Write down what you feel is, is necessary, okay? So let's start where I, I left off last week on addressing the physical. I won't repeat the questions, but I will say that Anxiety can just exhaust us to the point that we don't want to do anything else. We just want to shut down sometimes. One psychologist I read about, though, his response to that, he said, I, I always prescribe three pills, three pills, good exercise, good sleep, good diet. So let's talk exercise. What do you do for exercise? How do you get exercise? Now, you don't have to join a gym, but it may be the best thing for you to join a gym. We've got a lot of good ones here. But just walking. Walking, brisk walking for 20 or 30 minutes a day is really good exercise. What are you doing for exercise? I had a, a very regular exercise routine for about two years leading up to the point when I had brain surgery. And I was in some of the best shape of my adult life. And I really think that helped. That was one of the factors that helped me get through that when I was so weak. But I wasn't starting from a point of being in bad health when that happened. What about sleep? Sleep. How much sleep do you get? The um, research is clear on this. Everyone needs seven to eight hours of sleep except you. You're the exception. Okay. You. Now, I'll tell you, I struggle, with, I struggle with that during baseball season when the Astros have these West Coast games that start so late. You know, it's like, it started at nine. I need to go to bed soon, you know? So I, I either don't watch them or I watch them and stay to the very... In. What about diet? What do you eat? And not just, not just overeating or anything like that, but just what do you eat? What kinds of things do you eat? It, it all matters, you know? And so I would just encourage you to focus on and address the physical, what you can do about that. Next, let's talk about the soul. And by soul, I'm talking about like the, the relationships that feed us, how, how they feed our soul, okay? So I will start with marriage and family. I want to address the adult's 
in, in the room because students, a lot of times, there's not a lot you can do about your family situation, but adults, you can. If you're married, what are you doing to make your marriage strong and, and happy and healthy? If you're a parent, whether you're a couple or a single parent, what are you doing to enrich your family and your relationship with your kids? You know, couples, do you, do you have, go on date nights? Families, do you, do you have game nights? Do you ride bikes? Do you, do you go on walks? Do you just look for things to do together? Are you looking for creative ways to spend time with your family? You know, when you're dating, you know, you look for a lot of creative ways to spend time with that person who's special to you. Don't stop. Just keep, keep doing that. One of the things COVID taught us, man, when we were bored out of our minds and couldn't do anything and be around people, we found ways to break that boredom. We worked more puzzles. You couldn't buy a puzzle. You know, we did all kinds of things. They were creative. Go back to that. Think about that. While I'm on the subject of family, let me explain why a, a healthy, stress-free family is so very important. You know, like a sponge, we all soak up all the experiences that we have, and it's going to come out somewhere. It's going to come out somewhere. Sissy Goff, she's a nationally renowned psychologist and our family therapist, and uh, she spoke here a few, few years ago. Um, she's written lots of books. She's so good. She said in her new book, The Worry-Free Parent, you might want to write that down, The Worry-Free Parent, she said, anxiety has an amazing ability to spread. In almost every situation in which I've had an anxious child or teen in my office, they have had at least one anxious parent. Connect the dots. I, so I told you, I have two book suggestions. Write that down, The Worry-Free Parent. That's not on our, our resource list yet. It'll be on there by next week. But The Worry-Free Parent. And then also a book I read last year called The Stressless Life. The Stressless Life by Vance Pittman. Now, staying with the subject of addressing the soul, let's talk about some other relationships. Friends, friends. What do you do with friends? Students, singles, married people. We all need friends. What do you do with, with friends? If you're, if you're a single or a student, this can be a lifeline. This is a lifeline for you. We need those friends. Do you get together? Do you go out for dinner? Do you uh, go to concerts together? Do you, you attend sports events? Or what about things that don't cost anything? Like, do you just go hang out at the beach or go play Frisbee golf or volleyball at, at our parks? There's the, there are plenty of things to do that don't cost a lot of money or any money for that matter. And don't forget small groups. It's, it's really tough when I hear this, but I know it's, it's more common than normal. Some of you just don't have any friends, really, that you can hang out with. And that's not that unusual. You're not that alone. There are other people that are probably starving to become your friend in a place where you, can, where you can meet some of those friends or small groups. Let us connect you to a small group. Uh, just come up and ask one of our staff or somebody that you know that's in a small group. We'd love to help you get in small groups. Healthy relationships can really help reduce a lot of our anxiety. Next, I want to address the emotions, okay? The emotions. And I'll say this and not, not belabor the point, but pursue counseling if necessary. There's just some things that counseling can help that you can't help on your own. And so pursue that. And just want to let you know, in addition to a resource list, we also have a counseling referral list. You can find it on the BPF app or on that QR code on the seat back in front of you. We all need, let's look at emotions like this. We need emotional gas to fill our tank. 
okay? What are those things that, that refuel you? What is it that just, just kind of energizes you? Write those things down. We all need that emotional gas to keep going. For me, it's time with family, my kids and grandkids, and of course with Kathy, but it's also watching baseball. I love to watch baseball. If the Astros aren't playing, I'll, a lot of times I'll watch somebody else. Um, I love reading. That refuels me. And I really love yard work. I mean, I, I love working out in the yard. I love getting dirty. Even when it's 100 degrees outside, I'm like, I like to work out in the yard. I just enjoy that. Now, some of you hate that. That doesn't refuel you. That drains you. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, um, you know, someone has said one person's anxiety is another person's adrenaline. Yard work is adrenaline for me. Maybe your anxiety, so avoid it if it is. But it's my adrenaline, if you, if you can, if you can. Whatever it is that refusal, here's the point. Whatever it, it is that refuels you, don't quit doing it because you're busy or you're stressed out and you just don't have enough time. You're getting behind at work or at home with chores or whatever and you need to do other things. If it refuels you, try not to, uh, to quit doing that. Whatever it is that refuels you, keep doing that. You know, it may be a hobby. I mentioned earlier, a hobby can be your Lord. If it becomes your Lord, it's too much. But hobbies can be a good thing. Anything can become a master. You don't want to get to that point, but you do want things to refuel you. So keep doing those things that refuel you, or you'll just run out of gas a lot faster. And you'll, just, you'll, you'll sink to the bottom, and anxiety will overwhelm you even quicker than it has been. But now think about things that drain you. What is it that drains you? You know, write that down too. And, and as much as you can, avoid those things that drain you. Some things are just normal, you know. Sometimes work can be draining. Sometimes somebody in your family can be draining. Yeah, I get that. You don't avoid them. But, but there are things that you can avoid. For me, it's argumentative people. I just try to stay out of those now. I'm, I could so easily get into them. But I try to avoid that. I avoid watching the news, the evening news. That, that's a drainer to me. Doom scrolling on Twitter, you know, just leave it alone. Staying up too late, staying up too late. I'm more of a night person than a morning person, but, but staying up too late drains me. So look for those things that fill you and keep doing those, and those things that drain you, try to avoid them. One final area of self-care, I'll say the most important one for last. Address the spiritual. This, more than anything else that I was doing, before I, I went through brain surgery and then had the blood clots break loose, this more than anything else is what I believe helped me to make it through that, to, to, to endure the times, the waves of anxiety, and not let them overwhelm me or nor define me. Two things that stand out for me when I'm addressing the spiritual is Bible reading and Bible mem memorization. When I was being wheeled into surgery, both in June and then again when I thought it was a recurrence in November, and when I made the hospital ride the ambulance, man, those things are built for speed, not comfort. Both times, I mean, all, all three times, I just kept repeating to myself over and over in my mind, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, a verse I memorized years ago, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that just means asking, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just kept repeating that verse over and over again, and God just kept washing the anxiety away. I mean, right then and there, I went into surgery both times calm. I arrived at Memorial Hermann Hospital calm, and that wasn't me. I mean, I had plenty to worry about. And 
That focused me. That helped me. I, I can't encourage that too much. A lot of other verses came to mind that I had read, and so I encourage Bible reading. You know, October is two weeks away from tomorrow. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, to jump on to the Bible recap reading plan. We always talk about it in December and early January, saying, you know, this is a way you can read through the Bible, and there's a great podcast that will explain every day what you're reading, and you can read through the Bible in a year. Many of you are doing that, and just keep going, even if you're several months behind. Don't, don't quit. You don't have to finish on time. But for those of you who don't have a plan, I would encourage you to jump in on the Bible recap, recap October 1. It's starting with the New Testament there, and it'll go from Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation, and you'll read the whole New Testament by the end of the year or by whenever you finish. But I would encourage you to do that. If you don't know how to get on the Bible Recap or the Bible Recap podcast, two things, talk to just about anybody on our staff or just ask around. Tons of people in our church have do, done that or are doing that. And we'll help you get, get started. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. I'll close with this, though. Of all the things I've said, you can attend church every week, you can read the Bible, you can memorize verses, you can go to small group, you can apply every self-care help that I have mentioned this week and last. But if Jesus is not Lord, then none of it matters in the long run. You've got a much bigger issue to deal with, and that's your eternity. Have you made Jesus your Lord? Folks, Jesus loves you, every one of you. If you feel alone, you are not alone. He loves you. He came to earth to show us how to live and to help us really get a, a clear idea of who God is and what he wants for our lives, and it's good. He died a sacrificial death to pay the penalty for our sins, a penalty we could ever pay on our own. He came back to life to prove that he has power over sin and death, and he offers us eternal life, abundant life, meaningful life, an identity in him that is stronger than any other identity we can ever pursue or any identity that's ever hung on us that we don't want. Jesus can give that to you. So I would encourage you, if he's not Lord, make him Lord. Would all of you bow your heads for just a moment of prayer? And if you are ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life and you haven't, then pray with me, okay? I'll just lead you in a simple prayer, but you, you say it to God in your heart to say, Jesus, I, I know you've not been my master. Other things have really led my life, controlled my life. I want you to be Lord. I believe you love me. I believe you laid down your life to rescue me. I believe you died to forgive my sins and that you came back to life to prove you are God. Well, I ask you to forgive my sins, to come into my heart, soul, mind, and strength and be my Lord. I know it's a, an eternal decision. I don't know how it will all work out, but I trust you to show me. I give my life to you. Amen.